seated. morning everybody this is very exciting I agree with everything that's been said so far it feels a little bit like a new church plan or something like that doesn't it uh, a, a great uh, thank you again to all the people who showed up yesterday that was I'll probably bring this up again but that was truly amazing so thank you for showing up uh, those of us who are middle age and above we're feeling our bones a little bit but that's okay let's pray together Heavenly Father, we thank you for the family of God here at New Life Church, but not only here throughout this city, throughout the world. So wherever we go, you are our home, but we also have family in every city, town, across the world. And so it's, it's, I'm very grateful that we have a family here at New Life Church. Empower this sermon, Lord. I've written down things, but now it's really up to your Holy Spirit to move in our hearts to apply this to our lives, and to change us. I ask, Lord, that the words of my mouth and meditation of my heart would be pleasing in your sight, my rock and my redeemer, for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Can you guys hear me okay? Everybody hear me okay? Good. We're going to be in Acts chapter 4 today. Um, the title of the sermon is God's New Temple, A Thriving Family in the City. So that's very apropos from what we're already talking about. This family, this new temple, is characterized by unity, towering grace, and supernatural generosity, and that's what we'll be talking about today. So hear the word of the Lord. I'm borrowing one of the verses that Steve preached on last week. We'll start with verse 31, Acts 4, 31 through 37. Hear the word of God. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means sons of, sons of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. The word of the Lord. We've been seeing in the book of Acts that at the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, he creates a new temple. He creates a new, thriving family. Our passage is a part of a section in which the Holy Spirit is working in the city of Jerusalem. The basic outline of this book can be found in Acts 1, 8, which says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And then the rest of the book of Acts is, is that basic outline. And we are in the beginning of that book, right in Jerusalem, as the Holy Spirit is working. Uh, this section, in many ways, 
is a, a contrast of two temples. The first temple, the old temple, it's the actual building itself. It was built by Herod the Great. It was run by the chief priests, Sadducees, the temple guard. In contrast to that temple, we have this new temple that the Holy Spirit creates, which is us, the family of God, created by the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. And these two temples in the book of Acts are in constant, constant conflict with one another. That conflict, by the way, goes until this very day, doesn't it? Now, you remember, all of this started when Peter and John, they went up to the temple to pray, and they healed a man who was lame. And the scripture says, well, the scripture says they were arrested for this. And it goes on to say that the priests, get this, the priests were annoyed that the apostles were preaching Jesus' resurrection from the dead. They were annoyed at the resurrection, the preaching of the resurrection. The unbelieving world will always be annoyed at the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's foolishness. It's like a fairy tale to them. That was the way it was then. That is the way it is now. But like Peter, we have no other message, do we not? There is no other name by which to be saved than the name of Jesus Christ. That is our message. That's the message that Peter was bringing. So you have this old temple, this old dead religion full of rules and regulations, and then there's the new temple of God. Freedom in the Holy Spirit, love, obedience, supernatural obedience, life abundant, praise God. And so the question throughout the book of Acts is, what temple do you live in? The old temple which is dead or the new temple alive? first point, which I like to make, is that the Holy Spirit brings unity to this new temple, to this new family of God. It says, the full number of this new family were of one heart and one soul. That's an amazing thing to say about the people of God, isn't it? There was tremendous unity, one heart and one soul. So it begs the question, how do we at New Life compare to that? Now, we have many examples of unity in our midst. We just had many of them. The pulpit committee had great supernatural unity to bring Larry Smith one accord. They were of one accord. They brought him as they nominated him before us. If that wasn't enough, the Holy Spirit came upon us with one heart and one soul unanimously, 100% vote for Larry. That is tremendous supernatural unity, is it not? Now, at the same time, we must admit that we have some challenges with unity here at New Life Church, right? I've been doing an informal survey for about 25 years. <laughs> My age. Um, I just, there are many people who have left our church. There are many people who have grumbled at our church. And I just simply ask them what, what their point is. Why, why are you upset with New Life? Why did you leave New Life? And here are the two things that I hear all the time. One is kind of going all the way back, and one is a little bit more recent. The more recent one is gossip. The one that's been going on as long as I've been here is cliques. There's cliques at New Life. Let me start with um, gossip. So it's, I think, a more recent development. And I'm not here to point fingers at you. As I said in my last sermon, I think... The job of the preacher 
is to be the chief confessor. I think this is, if you want confession day, it's going to be my confession. And as I've looked over 25 years of, 27 years of ministry, I can look back on my life and say there have been times when I've been guilty of gossip. In fact, I, I can point out a lot of times where I've been guilty of gossip. Not really much lately because the Holy Spirit is working on me. But here's the thing. Why do I gossip? It's because somebody has hurt me. It's because somebody has done something against me. Or they disagree with me, and it's something that's near and dear to my heart. So as I examine my own heart over the years, that's when I gossip. Now, I can disguise it. I'm pretty good at that. I can disguise it as venting. I could disguise it as just asking for somebody's opinion. Here's the one that really, this is the one that the Spirit kind of touched my heart. We need to pray about something. And then I gossip. All that is just gossip. You know, here's the thing that pains my heart. New Life Church used to be known as this. What was the number one sin Probably in the 90s, at least, I know. What's the number one sin you could not commit at New Life Church? It was gossip. There was just no room for gossip in this place. And I just kind of go, in that particular area, we have, like I said, we've, we have many examples of great unity where the Holy Spirit is working among, among us. Yesterday, I think, was the most amazing demonstration of unity. We had, I think, Cheryl was really nervous. We had seven people sign up. She was like, how's this going to happen? I was like, the Holy Spirit will do it. And he did. And that was an amazing demonstration of unity. But we have this part of us that is gossip. It grieves my heart. It grieves my heart when I see it, especially in myself. And then clicks. This one is as old as, I think, New Life Church. Now, clicks, I think we have to be real fair about this. Clicks is just simply a group of people who like each other, who are friends, right? There is absolutely nothing wrong with that. <coughs> Groups of people who are friends. I keep thinking of this woman, Michelle. She's a fictional woman. She lives, she's a member of the church, of New Life, New Life Church in the year 2028. So I'm going to ask you to take, go in a time machine with me. We're going to go to the year 2028. And I just happen to have one of her journal entries. You want to hear it? All right. She says, there's something different about new life these days. There's something different about me, too. For the longest time, I felt lonely at New Life Church. Like I had a bunch of acquaintances, but no real friends. New life always seemed a bit clicky to me. There were groups of people having fun, having small groups, meeting together, praying together, and I never felt included. But that's changed. Here's the funny thing. The change started with me. I realized that I was part of the problem. In my loneliness, I kept judging these other groups of people having all this fun without me. In actuality, I should have been sharing my loneliness with Jesus and realizing I am never alone. I can always go to Jesus. And with that truth, with that realization, God renewed me. And then the strangest thing happened. One of the women in the church came up to me and repented of being too exclusive in her friendship, of not including me. I almost fainted. 
I then repented to her of my judgmental attitude, and we hugged for what seemed like an eternity. Then we made arrangements to have some coffee. Yes, there's something different about new life. It feels more like a family. Doesn't that get to the heart of the matter? Doesn't that get to the heart of the matter, what's, what's going on in all of our hearts? We have this longing in us for a family. And I really appreciated Grace's testimony because that's my testimony too. I do not have family, my physical family, in, in Philadelphia. My parents live about an hour away. My sister, Amy and I have the similar situation. My sister lives in Pottstown right next to my parents. Amy's sister lives in the same hometown with her parents. And lately we've been feeling this odd tug in our hearts, which is my sister, there's all kinds of things that they get to do together that I don't share. I'm only an hour away, but I still do not share them. And it, it hurts me. And Amy has a similar testimony. But here's the thing. We are a family. You are my family. Who helped, me raise, who helped us raise our kids? You did. Who took care of our children? You did. Who takes them under your wing and encourages my kids right now? You do. And the same applies for all of us. We are a family one in Christ. So let's just take a moment, like 30 seconds. Just close your eyes for a moment. And dream of new life family as the perfect family. Just picture in your mind, let your heart go wild. What would that mean for you for new life to be your perfect family? second thing that the Holy Spirit brings is great power and great grace. It says, with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Great power. Where does that power come from? It comes from the gospel. The apostles were eyewitnesses to the death and resurrection of Christ, and then they were empowered by the Holy Spirit. And at that moment in time, they recognized what the apostle Paul would later say, that they were sons and daughters of God in heaven that they were perfectly righteous in God's sight, not by what they did, but what Jesus did for them, namely that he lived a perfect, righteous life for them, and because of that became the perfect sacrifice for their sins, and he did the same for us. For anyone who claim, would claim that Jesus is Lord and Savior, you are perfectly righteous in the sight of God, meaning your standing before God is perfect, that he sees you as perfect. Amen? Amen? That is worthy of some stuff. That's worthy of a big amen. All right, there you go. Now, when I don't have that power, it's because I am eaten up by my own righteousness. I am concerned only with my own worthiness, my own sense of obedience. I'm concerned with looking good in front of others and having my act together. And in that moment, I do not care about the supreme worthiness of Jesus Christ. I may say I care about Jesus Christ. I may say that I care about his righteousness. But in that moment, I am only concerned with myself. I am eaten up by my own righteousness. Then I become a very dangerous man. 
in that moment when I take my eyes off of Jesus, when I take my eyes off of his righteousness, I am supremely confident that I know what is best in all circumstances. I become wise in my own eyes. I know what's best for me, for the church, and for others. I become a very dangerous man. But on the other hand, if I am clueless, if I am clueless about what is best for myself and others, then and only then do I have the peace that passes all understanding. So I want to encourage cluelessness in all of us. So repeat these three words, I don't know. <laughs> repeat it, I don't know. So somebody comes up to you and says, I need some advice. What would you do in this particular situation? The answer should be, I don't know. Let's pray about it because somebody does know, and his name is Jesus. And he promises to give us wisdom when we, when we ask for it. So yes, I am encouraging cluelessness in us. The kind of cluelessness that says, God knows, and he's going to tell us. We are all way too confident we know what is best, and that is the root of so many of our problems. In that moment, we become independent contractors, working the Christian life apart from the power of God. With great power also comes great grace. Great grace was upon them all, our scripture says. Great grace was upon them all. When I'm preaching, one of the things I do is I just kind of look for what books come my way. I look for what quotes come my way. I look for what people say. And this is the book that came my way by Bob Goff. It's called Everybody Always. This is what he says. He says, here's the problem. When we make ourselves the hall monitor of other people's behavior, we risk having our approval of them become more important than God's love. Telling people what they should do turns us into a bunch of sheriffs. People who are becoming love lose the badge and give away grace instead. Telling people you meet, tell people you meet who they are becoming in Christ and trust that God will help people find their way toward beautiful things in their lives. Tell people who they are in Christ, not necessarily focusing on everything they're doing or not doing. Here's my concern, not just for us. It's my concern for the church in this country. We keep trying to control external behavior instead of reaching for the conscience. Conscience is reached by love and humility. And so that's where I get become the chief confessor in all relationships. This is my conclusion. Policing behavior just doesn't work. And I, to be, I think I owe my kids an apology. I think I owe my children an apology because I, have, I look back and I have policed their behavior way more than I've told them who they are in Christ. I'm not saying you can't challenge your children. I'm not saying when they're young, you have to set parameters. If they do certain things that are bad, you have to, they have to receive the consequences of those actions, correct? But if you're a parent, what you realize very quickly is they grow up very fast and they start thinking on their own very quickly. And I must confess, chief confessor, that for too long I have been focusing on my kids' behavior when I need to tell them who they are in Christ. Now, someone may accuse me, accuse me of not being interested in obedience. You know, they have always 
throughout the years accused New Life of not being interested in obedience. You're interested in grace. You'll give grace all day long, but what about obedience? I do want obedience. It's right in our mission statement. But I want obedience that flows from the Holy Spirit and the conviction that only the Holy Spirit can bring to us. Amen? Here's a passage from 1 Corinthians 4, 7. What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? That was like a, like a knife in my heart. That, that just really pricked me. Here's a commentary. It says, it says in the commentary, what do you have that you did not receive? If Christians repeatedly ask this of themselves, it will produce deep humility and thanksgiving. That's what brings obedience. Finally, the Holy Spirit brings supernatural generosity. Our scripture in Acts 4 says, there was not a needy person among them. <laughs> That's unbelievable. There was not a needy, poor person among them. For as many were owners of lands or houses, sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold. That same commentary said, many people believe that this is the beginning of communism. And then it went over and over and over about, this is not communism. This is not communism. Because they were volunteer, voluntarily giving away what they had. No government was forcing them to do that. And I think that's correct. But here's another thing that's correct. It wasn't capitalism either. <laughs> communism, capitalism, socialism, these are man-made things. But when the power of God comes upon his people, what we see is supernatural generosity. We voluntary, voluntarily give away all our stuff. You can't command that. When the Holy Spirit comes upon us, we have this supernatural generosity. What can be said about us is they had all things in common. Now, that was an ideal moment in time in the church. And one of the things that we always do is like, church has to be like this. The church has to be like this. Well, the church should be like this, but we need the Holy Spirit to come upon us in power. They had all things in common. By the way, that's the second time that Acts had said that. They had all things in common. No needy among them. That's a fulfillment, by the way, of Deuteronomy 15.4, where God in his law says there will be no poor among the people of Israel. Israel had strict rules. An Israelite could not charge interest against another Israelite. For example, Exodus 22, 25, if you lend money to any of my people with you who are poor, you shall not be like a money lender to them, and you shall not exact interest from them. And then we, at the end of this scripture, we have this amazing example of Barnabas, the son of encouragement, who gave away, sealed, sold it, and put the proceeds at the feet of the apostles. That was common in the church in Acts. Can you imagine New Life Church where we could say we had all things in common? There was, not, there was no poor among us. The only way that's going to happen is the Holy Spirit comes upon us and gives us supernatural generosity. Amen? But can we, and, and Jesus said, hey, look, the poor will always be with you. But can you imagine just for one brief moment, this ideal moment, in the history of New Life Church, where we share all things in common, 
and there was no needy among us. May that be true. May we be the sons and daughters of encouragement, just like Barnabas. Supernatural unity, grace, and power, great grace, great power, and supernatural generosity. Those are the marks of the church. Those are the marks of New Life Church of Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this family of God. We thank you that what we desire to be is a thriving family in the city where the broken from all nations are made alive and whole, finding hope and purpose in Jesus Christ. Jesus, won't you come into our lives as a church, as a family in Philadelphia with great power and great grace? Give us this kind of generosity in our hearts. Only you can do it. We cannot muster up that type of unity or power or generosity by ourselves. So, so fill us. Fill us even right now as we once again turn our attentions to you in prayer. Amen.